Aloha, my name is Maya Sutoro. I'm a peace educator and professor at the University of Hawaii at Manoa. I'm also the co-founder of three nonprofits, Seeds of Peace, the Institute for Climate and Peace, and Peace Studio. This is something new. With this podcast, I'm so pleased to bring you conversations with change makers and influencers from the front lines of our communities. I believe their voices will deepen our curiosity and conviction and help us to consider things we haven't considered before. They'll help us be innovative in our thinking, and although their opinions in no way represent the organizations where I work, I'm really excited to share them with you. I feel certain they'll help us refresh our gaze, revisit our assumptions, and take action in brave new ways. Listeners, let me tell you a little bit about my friend and colleague, Punihe. Her full name is Ka'ivi Puni Kawi Kavekiu Punihe Lai. She is a Kanaka Maoli Native Hawaiian mother, daughter, wife, hula dancer, researcher, an educator. In the UH Manoa President's Office, she serves as the Native Hawaiian Affairs Program Officer charged to advance UH Manoa's goal of becoming a Native Hawaiian place of learning. She is also the director of the UH Manoa's Truth, Racial Healing and Transformation Campus Center, as well as an Obama leader with the Obama Foundation's Asia Pacific Leaders Program. She holds a BA in Hawaiian Studies, an MS in Counseling, Psychology, and a PhD in Educational Administration. First, let us offer up this land acknowledgement, acknowledging Hawaii as an indigenous space whose original people are today identified as Kanaka Maoli, Native Hawaiians. The aina on which we sit is located in the Ahupua'a of Waikiki, in the Mokupuni of Oahu, in the Paiaina of Hawaii. I recognize that Her Majesty Queen Liliuokalani yielded the Hawaiian Kingdom in these territories under protest to the United States in order to avoid the bloodshed of her people. I further recognize that generations of indigenous Hawaiians and their knowledge systems have shaped Hawaii in a sustainable and powerful way that allows us to enjoy her many gifts today. And for this, we are truly grateful. In creating this series, I thought a lot about the importance of challenging intractable problems, looking with refreshed gaze at the way things have always been done and seeing if we can learn new ways and bravely do things differently. That noted, some of our most vital, powerful and brilliant solutions come from indigenous wisdom, the past, taking the knowledge and sensibilities of the past and putting them to use in innovative ways that serve the present and future. So today's conversation will explore some of what it takes to transform a campus into an indigenous place of learning and thriving for all. We will also look at racial and cultural healing and transformation of intergenerational trauma. As we look to Punihe's work at the University of Hawaii, I'm hopeful listeners will feel inspired to create and support similar programs on their campuses and in their communities. There is so much ground to cover during our short time, so let's dive right in and begin getting to know you, Punihe, and your vision for creating sustainable pathways toward truth, racial healing, and transformation, especially given the state of our world. Punihe, thank you so much for being here with us today. Yeah, mahalo. Thank you for inviting me. First, would you please share the story of your name with us, as well as the story of your earth and water? I have five Hawaiian names, <laughs> and my mom drummed all of them. My first name, Kaivipuni Koikovekiu, was the name I was given at birth as my first name, and it refers to the precious bones of our ancestors that are placed at the highest peaks of the mountains. And over time, I've asked her, you know, how did I go from Kaivipuni Koikovekiu to Punihei? Like, bam, what's the story behind that? And 
she kind of tells this really fuzzy story. So the story to me is very unclear, um, but punihei, which kind of means to be captivated by something. And I think, you know, I was her last one. And so maybe I was captivating her in some ways as a child, as a baby. And my mom has said that, you know, now that you're an adult punihei, I feel like you should really take on that name again. Kaibi puni koikoveku is going to guide you. It's going to, um, you know, give you direction. And so in terms of my earth and water, I think about the Ko'olau Mountains as this really grounding aina, uh, that connects two places for me, my home, two of my homes really, my home in Heia where I, I go to sleep at night, but also my home in Manoa where I spend more time than I do, you know, in Heia where I live. So those mountains, I wake up to them every morning um, when I out my window, it's really lucky for me. Um, and I see them as they kind of embrace this valley that we are in. My water, I would say, I think is Ka'ava, um, the beach, particularly at Ka'ava where I grew up. You know, in thinking about this question, I think about Ka'ava particularly at the beach when I'm there is feeling kind of like I'm, I'm the safety of the womb. You are leading a meaningful campus and community project, the Truth, Racial Healing and Transformation Campus Center at UH Manoa. Tell us about this work. What is this work? What does this work mean to you personally and why is it vital for our community here on Oahu? Let's just kind of talk broadly. It was um, initiated by the Kellogg Foundation. The Kellogg Foundation has been focusing on equity, especially for um, children and families for a really long time. And they brought together dozens, um, I think, you know, nearly hundreds of both, I think, racial healing practitioner, practitioners and also scholars to create a framework with the question, how are we going to jettison racism? Um, and this framework that these, these uh, wonderful, you know, change agents put together eventually focused on you know, the importance of narrative change, of truth telling, of truth receiving, right? Of creating that space to create more complete and complex narratives of our communities, whether that begins with ourselves, our families, right? Our organizations and so on. Um, the importance of racial healing and relationship building and particularly the way they define racial healing is the idea that we can come to understand and recognize each other's common humanity again. And then to use all of that to really create systemic change, you know, in the areas of, you know, the economy and, and law and so on and so forth, education. And so eventually the Kellogg Foundation partnered with the Association of American Colleges and Universities and they wondered together, hey, what role can universities play in helping to jettison racism and to use this framework to create the next generation of, of leaders in this work? You know, this focus on racial healing, which is something really tricky in Hawaii, right? Um, we we don't even want to have a conversation about it, right, in some, in some pretty unique ways. Um, and that's, I think, why we, it's so important because, you know, racism exists here. Forms of oppression are, exist here and um, we have ignored it. It's not the world I want for my kids, mm -hmm. you know, and I, I don't think that's the world most people want for their children, but we don't necessarily have the tools. And so this, to me, um, provided me some tools and it also invited other tools that I forgot I had or didn't know how to apply in this situation. So often Hawaii is presented as a utopia of uh, harmonious living and we do well in some ways or better than others, yep. but uh, that renders invisible the many ways in which we need to confront, uh, improve, uh, heal, address, mm -hmm. um, and be more giving and responsible, right? Why is this your life's work? And when did you realize this was your path? And I had just been hired and this invitation for universities to apply came across my desk and we had less than two weeks to apply. One of the questions that was being asked was what will your community look like when racism has been jettisoned? Like what, envision your future. And I don't think I had ever been invited to ponder, to wonder, to envision that way before. 
And that was really exciting. And I think, you know, the combination of the work to help make UH Manoa Hawaiian place of learning, and of course, we're predominantly non-Hawaiian by all definitions. Um, and my, my, my focus in that work has always been, you know, we have these, these values on paper that we say we're striving towards, like becoming a Hawaiian place of learning, but we know that we have lots of work to connect both the head and the heart space of at least most, if not all of the campus in some ways to why that's important and, and really align those value sets. In, within the invitation of this, I realized of this um, application to become a THT campus, I realized that, that there was healing could be a pathway to that work, right? To, to aligning um, you know, value systems to the, to the places we say as a university we wanna go. And so I think that invitation to lean into healing, I grew up with protesters. My parents are both, you know, have always been on the front lines. I have always been on the front lines with them and recognizing the power of that work. Also recognizing in my own tummy and my own na'o that that was not the, the place, the particular place for me. I could be there, but it wasn't where I felt the most joy. Um, and I've always tended, you know, and been attracted to, to spaces of healing instead. And so I think all of that kind of converged for me. And I was just like, maybe we go try. <laughs> and I think, you know, and then kind of with the grounding of so many before me that I felt maybe a little courageous to, to step out and, and try. I'm so glad uh, that you did. And that there are people like you who recognize the importance and value of protest, mm -hmm. but also understand that there is more that needs to happen to make real our vision, our harvest, yeah. and our beloved communities. So thank you for this work. Can you share with us a little bit now some of what you've seen in the way of transformation at Manoa and in the larger community since beginning this work? Where are we now and wh where do you hope to be in the, in the next few years? We started out very focused and intentional. And you know, at the heart of what we were looking at was, you know, in terms of envisioning the future and the way we kind of you know, think, thought about that vision was, we had to look to the past first, right? And so we, we couldn't envision the future without racism very easily on our own because we have never experienced that reality, but we know our kupuna have. And so, you know, for us, we were curious about perhaps taking, you know, values, um, practices, strategies, approaches to be, being in community, being in beloved community together that existed here before racism arrived and thinking about how we can, you know, use that and apply that in this 21st century very diverse, you know, different kind of community setting. And so what we want to do is test, we created a process, a curriculum, if you will. And so we were testing a process over the past four years now. Um, and, you know, testing, evaluating, refining, trying again uh, with, with UH, focus on UH Manoa with students, staff, faculty, but also community members. Um, we, I don't want this to become an insular kind of conversation project. So that's, that's kind of, where we started. Um, you know, for us, the foundation of this work has always been Ike Hawaii. You know, like I said, really, you know, to look to the past, which is a very, I think, indigenous thing, right? Um, to guide our future. So looking at Ike Hawaii on Hawaiian knowledge systems, but also the idea of turning to one another in conversation. You know, I love, I love Margaret Wheatley for those um, who know her work. And then really creating our own theories of change and transformation based on kind of those processes. And that's something I learned a lot about from some of my mentors like Maynette Benham and Miguel and Francisco Guajardo who come from South Texas. So we started with focused cohorts of in this testing process, right? And trying to see, can, can we do this? Can we take these, you know, traditional Hawaiian concepts, practices and apply them with folks to really invite out our many truths 
right? And this idea of mo'oku oho, or, you know, in Hawaiian or genealogy in English are, are many genealogies. And, and invite that space to really reflect, which we don't get to do very often. And then to understand how our genealogies are actually connected, right? Maybe not biologically, although if we look far enough, we probably can find something, but, but the different ways that we are connected and, and inviting these different kinds of lenses, because if we think about race and racism and the way it's really disconnected us, right? And created kind of a hierarchy, you know, to have power and control over one another, what are some of the ways that we can invite, perhaps from other knowledge systems, value systems, languages even, how we can invite uh, different ways of, of finding connection again, um, finding our interdependence. And so that's the work we've been doing in these really um, focused cohorts. We are ready at this point to, we know what's, what works fairly well. I think we know what we're you know, getting really good at. And so really trying to scale up and supporting um, communities across Hawaii um, to have tools to begin their own reflection processes, which lead to more connection, right? To figure out how am I gonna take care of you? How are you gonna take care of me? And how are we gonna take care of this aina together? So that's kind of where we are, but also where we're headed. I feel like part of what you're talking about is the importance of really seeing who is in our canoe, in our va'a, and you know, thinking of ourselves, all of us, as navigating out of the storms of inequality and oppression and racism or conflict, disconnection, dislocation, trauma, you know? And, and so it feels to me like you are inviting all of the participants to participate in sort of movement. And it is really about all of their stories and connecting the stories of everyone in the canoe. Can, can you tell me then a bit more about your team, how you build this team and this, how you lead this team and how it is your family in this work? I was raised in a six-man canoe. And so, you know, I think about how important that is for a couple of reasons. You know, to your point about inviting everybody onto the va'a is whether you're in a six-man canoe or a double-hull voyaging canoe, everyone has a kuleana, right? And you come to know your kuleana and your talent and the skill that you're going to bring to that space, um, you know, by literally being together and kind of observing, right? When I was first introduced into the, to the six-man canoe uh, culture when I was very young, I think I was about 10, um, there were a combination of things that helped identify what I would do. A, I was new and I was little. And so, um, you know, they, my coaches could see that I could probably you know, sit in the back and not take up too much weight as a steersman. Um, but also I was pretty bossy. So, you know, I was, I could tell people what to do, um, you know, and I was really close to folks. And so I became a steersman very early on, um, which has, you know, taught me many, many things throughout my life. Uh, and I, and I paddled, you know, through, through young adulthood. And I think actually of, of the team and the way I am a part of a team as, as, as the six, six man canoe experience taught me, you know, Everyone has a space, everyone has a place, everyone has a strength. I was never really, really strong, like muscle-wise, you know, but I could see where we were going. I could rally everyone. Um, I could encourage, you know, we did long distance paddling and I could, I was really good at keeping folks focused and encouraged and upbeat. Um, I, I knew I would get to know each paddler on the canoe. So I knew, you know, how to kind of inspire and motivate each of them individually, but also collectively. Um, I knew their strengths. I was a good observer. And I think that that's what I strive to be in our team as well. You cannot have six, six steersmen in a canoe. That's not helpful, right? You need, you know, a powerhouse. You need someone who can set the pace. You know, you need someone in five who um, is strong, but also can support number six as the steersman. And that's the same with our team. So we need people who are diverse, but um, in in the in the worldviews they bring, in the skill sets they bring, and are you know equally connected to to the vision um, in their own ways, right? 
Um, and so that's been really exciting to kind of build that team. You mentioned the word kuleana. For those who are not here in Hawaii and, and who don't know what that means, can you share what that means to you? Yeah, thank you for that question. I've always understood kuleana as something born out of relationship. The kumus, um, our role, our, our dear privilege. And over time, you know, we're going we're gonna to move into different roles and responsibilities. Um, you know, one of our kumu, one of my kumu in another space, she talks about this word sacred responsibility, right? The things that we're both called to, but that the things that we are, are fed into. I think simply stated how we take care of one another. And in each situation, you know, whether a parent or a child or a teacher or a student, it's all about knowing what your role is to take care of the other and also to receive, Right, that kind of care. So that's kind of a, maybe a little complex, but also trying to simplify the idea of kolean in English. So we both have various affiliations within the university system here and in academia more broadly. And universities actually have a long history of injustice and inequality. Many have grappled with terrible legacies of hierarchy, slavery, uh, curriculum that protect and perpetuate power and privilege. and in narrow ways, and yet universities are also community centers, places of refuge, curiosity, innovation, and they're meant to be spaces for change, for learning about ourselves and the future, and twisting and turning and growing. I'd love to hear you talk a bit about both the institutional and communal realities of working out of the university and what it's like to work in a place so rich with that dichotomy of yeah. both narrowness and expansiveness. Yeah, no, it's such an important question. And I think in the last several years, I've realized how many perspectives within and also outside, if you know, we're going to use those kind of words, of the academy there are. Um, even just here in, at, you know, in Hawaii and at UH Mano in particular. I have to say that I'm a child of this university, right? Um, both of my parents were students here. My mother was pregnant with me when she was finishing her PhD here. Um, she had an office in Isba Center. So, you know, I, I was literally born into this aina, both Puahia and Va'ahila, where I was, uh, those ili, those little spaces of land around Isba Center is where I spent literally my, my infant years. Um, and so for me, I've, I've always thought, I've never had a distinction between the campus community and the external community as separate um, for a couple of reasons. A, because I was raised here, right? And I recognize the real, um, it's, it's this really unique, special kind of privileged situation that I was raised in here. Um, by by calling uh, you know professors aunties and uncles right um, by calling college students aunties and uncles who became you know community leaders and leaders across our campuses so from that perspective I've always looked at you know wondered about how we continue to invite folks to feel like this is home um, it's actually the reason why my first kind of career was in academic advising because I was like how do I help everyone who comes to this campus feel like this is home with Kuleana of course you know but but that this is a place that is not separate from their, their regular everyday situation. Another thing that really shaped my, my thinking about the, the lack of dichotomy in my, in my mind was the way my parents really modeled for me that they came to university, they earned PhDs because they needed tools to go and do things in other parts of our community. That was the whole reason. And what they were doing in community, you know, and using their, their tools of PhDs and things that they'd learned here 
was then brought also back into the university and for my mom especially, shaped her entire advocacy and curricular career. There was this constant you know, flow and reciprocity that I saw that I just thought was the way we rolled here. It wasn't until much later that I realized that that's not necessarily the case. Although I want to recognize there are many places and spaces across this university. So I think part of that work is, is, is uplifting and, and highlighting those spaces where that happens because I think it's really, it can inspire others across the campus, but also in the community to know that, A, we don't, we don't have to be some kind of crazy ivory tower. We can just be a member of the larger community, right? And that's, that's the whole point. We're not isolated. We are part of an ecosystem. And so I think that's how I've approached this over time because I think that's the right way to be. Can you speak just a little bit more about the specific tools that we can use to build that bridge between campus and, and the larger community to be part of that? You know, what are the pathways for that? What are some things that you see happening where that is happening well, where we have that sense of kuleana for the larger community and yeah. we're not being insular? How is that happening? When folks from the larger community are the ones that come up through these spaces and are hired in these spaces, you know, that is an extremely important tool. Some of the, the best researchers and professors I know across this campus, their work is also seamless because they are, they have never, they have never um, oki that pico, they have never cut that umbilical cord between the places that they grew up and, and this university, right? Hawaiian or not, I've, I've, seen, I've seen all walks of life do this, you know, that are committed to this place. That, that relationship of being rooted from when you're a child and, and, and us raising children that are rooted in this place, that know that this is their, this is their pico, this is their, you know, their center, that kind of value set. And when we, when we can hire that, that's really important. And there's been a lot of work done on this campus to help administrators, right? People, people of the hiring space to value that. Um, so I think that's one tool. You know, I think about, and then for those who are coming in, who are from away, let us help you. Here are the value systems. Here are the, the ways you can put these into practice. And so there's tons of those kinds of initiatives happening across the campus. And then I, I guess at a more, at a central level, the work that we're doing with our strategic plan, the new strategic plan, is really to help, again, invite all people who work here to embrace, to learn, to deepen, to broaden their knowledge of guiding principles that from Hawaii that teach us how to be in relationship with each other and this place. Beautiful. Can you talk a little bit more about Ike Hawaii and what that knowledge and wisdom has to offer the rest of the world? I think Ike Hawaii is important for here. The ideas, the knowledge systems, the practices that come out of Hawaii um, that are rooted you know, deeply in this place, generation after generation, like this idea of understanding our genealogies and using that as a tool to guide our kuleana, our, guide our connections to one another, to, this, to the places that we're in, you know, that guide, and then thus guide our kuleana to one another. I think that's, it sounds actually sort of simple, but there's so many power structures, um, you know, oppressive systems that have, have made that almost impossible to recognize and to be in, in community around. And then there's practices, right? For example, like being on a va'a, like being in a halauhula that really allow you to, to bring those, those values, those principles to life. Learn of the practices of this place, and I, I see more folks doing this every day, um, you know, from, from really knowledgeable kumo, that being in practice, you know, of course, allows those values of principles to come to life. But I think the other part of that is what we are learning here, what we are being reminded here is that indigenous wisdom, a place that has, you know, survived the test of time, has something to teach us, right? And so I think what I get excited about is how can we use 
what's happening in Hawaii, just as a model to invite the rest of the world to turn back to their indigenous knowledge systems, wherever you are. And so I think about those who are here, who can take those sensibilities with them and those priorities. I guess what I'd like to invite you to do now is perhaps speak a little bit about what you think the role of our listeners could be to help drive this complex set of um, ideas and priorities forward, both in terms of what they might do in spaces of learning and in spaces of community, and also the shift in um, mindset that they can perhaps advance mm -hmm. and grow within themselves? You know, I think that one thing our listeners can begin with, it's easy and it's hard, right, is to be brave. Um, you know, so I love this, I love this theme because I have met, and I'm sure there are, you know, many listening, I have met more people in the last, you know, five years, five to 10 years in this work, um, who are just right on the edge, but I'm gonna speak to the non-Hawaiians first, is like right on the edge of, of looking over and, and saying, I really wanna participate in the right way. Like, you know, I, I, I know there's plenty I don't know. How do I enter this space? Um, and I wanna honor that because that's really exciting. Cause when I was a kid, I didn't see that as much, right? I think it has grown. Um, and that's really, you know, to the work that so many before me have done. So I, I wanna invite our, our listeners to be brave and to explore their own stories, their own genealogies, their own truths with, with honesty, right? And we are trying to build um, tools as fast as we can, um, you know, to provide to our community, both, both online and in different kinds of forums to help you along this journey, because I recognize that you need tools, right? Like I recognize that sometimes it is just too much to try and do this on your own. Like, how, how do I start? But beginning you know, with the reflective process of being honest about who we are, who our ancestors have been, that doesn't 100% shape us, right? It's a beginning point to then realize, well, what do I wanna do from here? What kind of ancestor do I wanna be to my mo'opuna, to my grandchildren? I think even that, that reflective individual process, if you have friends who can create safe space, um, who want to do that together, I think that, that, you know, that is step two, right? And to begin to ask ourselves, you know, brave questions. You know, what do we want our community to look like when racism has been jettisoned? I invite every person who is listening to pause and try to imagine that future for themselves in their communities, for their children and grandchildren. And then to, you know, back map, think about who I am, what can I do to advance that vision? Share that vision with others, right? Help people get excited. But I, I do think it starts with our own story. And don't shy away from the ideas of racism and settler colonialism and sexism and ageism and all these isms that have shaped us. You know, let's be real, right? Let's be brave and be real. And let's do it in a way that we can hold each other. So I want to talk a little bit about relationship with land and place. Ina is at the heart of your work and your theory of change. Could you share a little more about what that concept means to you? and what Ina has to do with racial healing? So let me, let me begin with this. I am not a farmer. I grew up on the 11th story, um, 11th floor of a, of a 12 story apartment building for a number of reasons. And I think through various you know, experiences and interactions, especially with my husband who, who does a lot of work at the intersections of indigenous knowledge systems and Western science around environmental management. I've had many aha moments over time about how much I don't know about how to take care of Ina. And in our process of envisioning our future as we look to our past, as I shared earlier, you know, we remembered a time when 
everything here was focused on Aina, right? Our religious, our spiritual systems, right? Our economic systems, our social systems, we're all really, we're all focused on our kuleana to take care of one another and collectively to take care of Aina. And, and that's why, you know, we are able then for, for thousands of years, hundreds and thousands of years, to be able to live in a place in the middle of the Pacific Ocean with no mats and containers coming in, right? We were abundant, we were, um, you know, we were doing our thing um, in a very kind of sustainable way. I'm not trying to equate sustainability to these things, but that's part of it. So we fast forward to 2021 and it's like, the oceans are rising, right? Over 90% of our food is imported. We have more homeless than ever before. Like what is going on? And in our process and our team's process of trying to understand this, trying to focus on Aina because we realized that that's what the kupuna of this place did and knowing that that can work and under looking at the gap, why has our ability to take care of one another and this place changed so much? Well, racism and settler colonialism literally, right, erased and removed the knowledge of something the people from the center of decision-making. And so if we want to change the way we are, both in relationship and also as systems, we have to heal those relationships and those systems, you know, from, from the racism and other forms of oppression that have shaped them so, so gravely. Um, and so that for us is the, the, a couple of the connection dots, right, that we're making between how do we take care of Aina and all of that, what that means, you know, from a Hawaiian point of view and the role racism and, 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 and settler colonialism have played, we got to heal, mm -hmm. right? I, I, don't, I don't know how we do it without that. Mahalo for helping us to have this sort of strength-based approach and for reminding us of our power to be good ancestors and to bravely envision a future without racism, to back map to define and shape beloved communities in, in ways that require deep listening and reverence for the past and for one another, as we think also as futurists and take actions to educate the next generations. Join me for future conversations with really thoughtful, creative people who are helping us to wash our eyes and nourish a sense of possibility around difficult social challenges. Thank you so much for listening. Please share and stay in the conversation.